This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Uh, we're in the second week of a series called Doorways. And we want to talk about how wrong attitudes and actions, they enter our life a very particular way. And this doorway behind me is going to be a reminder to you of that. If you notice this week, the door, doorway is decorated just a little bit better. Someone decided to put a reef on the door. And the subject we're going to talk about today, this is so appropriate because the subject we're going to talk about today is much more enticing. We're going to talk about the doorway of the eyes. The doorway of the eyes. And I want you to remember as we talk about these subjects, uh, this particular series kind of approaches it more from the negative standpoint as far as warning you about, about things that are incorrect can enter your life. But I want you to imagine Jesus standing in front of this door. Because Jesus said in John chapter 7, He said, I am the door. I am the door to the sheep. And so He wants to be the filter. Jesus wants to stand. And last week we talked about the ears. And everything that comes through our ears, Jesus wants to stand at the doorway of our ears and be the filter. And today as we talk about the eyes, everything that we see, Jesus wants to stand in front of the doorway of our eyes and be the filter. We were having staff meeting on Tuesday, and the meeting had, was coming towards an end, and the HELP program, which is our Mother's Day Out program, they are so wonderful. They always have all types of food, and they bring their leftovers to us. And so someone came in and gave us a cake. And I was, you know, ready for a snack. I'm usually ready for a stack, but uh, as this meeting went on, I was uh, particularly ready for it. And uh, back in the offices where we were, there were no, no plates, no forks. So I decided to kind of speed the meeting up. And so uh, we're speeding the meeting along, and I said, is there any more questions, any more, anything anyone else needs to say? And Penny Sims said, yeah, there's something I need to bring up. Well, I could tell Pastor David uh, was sharing my enthusiasm to, to get to the cake. So as Penny's talking about an issue, David just puts the cake on the desk right between us. And it looked really good. I mean, this was like a major hint here. The hint was, there's two hungry guys, there's a cake here, let's move things along. So the cake is standing there, and as Penny began to talk more and begin to uh, explain her issue more, David just kind of quietly went and took the plastic cover off the cake. And I'm telling you, this particular cake, just the way the light hit it and the way it was, it was uh, displayed and been cut into, it looked like one of those magazines like Southern Living where they have those amazing desserts. I promise you, it looked like that. So here it is. I'm trying to listen to Penny, and in my peripheral vision, there's this cake And I literally couldn't take my eyes off the cake. In fact, it got to be kind of embarrassing. I was like trying to look away and David wanted me to look at it because he was trying to give a hint. And eventually Penny asked, she said, are you even listening? And I said, kind of. And so it's amazing how when I saw visually the cake, I had this intense desire to conclude the meeting. And so it is that in our life that what we what we focus on, what we perpetually look at, becomes our desire. Because of this 
was standing right before me, I had this intense desire to end a meeting and not really listen to some important information. And that's a principle that started at the beginning. In Genesis chapter 2, right at the beginning of humanity, we find this, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty. Wait a second, we're in Genesis chapter 3. I said it backwards. So we need to go to Genesis chapter 3. Again, that, that, again that's my mistake. I just had this 2 and 3 backwards. Ah, there we go. There we go. So Genesis chapter 3 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. And I want you to think about that term crafty, because this is talking about uh, the devil himself, the enemy. And, and you need to understand that the enemy is very crafty. He's clever. He's a schemer. And he is aware of your weaknesses. He's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing like God is, but he's an observer of behavior. And uh, him and evil spirits will know how to tempt you. Just as they did in the beginning. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He wants us to question God. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. Think about that phrase. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So one of the things the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal our innocence. I want you to understand that the the enemy wants to steal our innocence. And the enemy is trying to steal the innocence of our children. And I think that we have a responsibility to protect that innocence as long as we can. And so verse 6, so when the woman, now look at this, saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, the doorway of the eyes. From the beginning of humanity it started. The visual senses, the enemy, the crafty enemy, the scheming enemy, began to tempt through the eyes. So when he saw that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, reminds us of something. It's, it's a very important scripture that we, we should remember. Proverbs chapter 4, starting with verse 23, says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now look at verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. The eyes are a window to the heart. The eyes are a window to the soul. The eyes determine so much. Last year, I I bought a new vehicle, and I don't do that very often, but I went to this dealership, and there was uh, a particular car that I saw, a, a Dodge Caravan, which is what I had driven the seven previous years. So I was like, I don't want to look at that. Let's look at some other stuff. There was one particular car. It was a blue sports utility vehicle. And I'm telling you, it looked good. This thing was awesome looking. It was my favorite shade of blue. 
They have leather seats and all the accessories. And it just looked good. And I thought, man, this, I could really see myself in this vehicle. And as someone with a pastor's heart, I knew that I would look good in that vehicle doing ministry to you. I mean, I could drive into the parking lot of the hospitals and arrive at funeral funerals and meet for coffees and counseling appointments, and you would be proud of what your pastor was driving. Because the car just didn't look good. I looked good in the car. And let me tell you something. As soon as I saw this vehicle, I said, I want that. And what I began to do is I began to justify why I deserved that vehicle. And this particular sports utility vehicle had the two seats in the front, then it had a, a bench in the back, and then it had a, a, a large trunk area. So I just began to justify and think, you know, the bench in the back, there's plenty of room for three kids. And then I began to think, and my kids... They never fight in the car. So, so they could just, the three of them just sit right there together. They'll like to be together. I began to, to justify this in my mind. Now, the end of the story is I, I took it for a test drive uh, and didn't like the way it drived. And it ended up that, and this is just kind of a sidebar note, that first Dodge Caravan I saw, that's what I ended up buying. It was about, it, it functioned better for our family. It was about $12,000 $12, cheaper. The last two times I bought a car, this is just interesting, is that, that I saw two cars on a lot, and I thought the Holy Spirit said, that's the car you're going to buy. Then I went and tested stuff, did all this stuff with Beth, and went ahead and bought the car that the Holy Spirit told me to at the beginning. So I just, for all that's worth, I believe God wants to be included in the little details of your life. He does care about things like that. But the reason I tell you that is, is that when we, when we see something, and we look at it through the window of our eyes, it creates a desire within us. And that's the first thing I want you to write down, is the eyes create. Make no mistake about it. The eyes are the entry point to your desire. The, the eyes, they create ideas, desires, suspicions, justifications, they create opportunities, they create excuses, they create options, they, they create suspicions, they create jealousies, they create offenses, they create belief systems, the eyes create lust, the eyes create opportunities to steal, opportunities to cheat, and they create opportunities to bless. The eyes are always creating. And so what you look at perpetually, what you gaze upon, because no doubt that we all look at things, and it's not the first look that matters, it's the second look and the third look. Because, you know, we can't control that. If we, have, if we are fortunate enough to have sight, we're going to look at certain things and it's going to appeal to our desires, but it's what we gaze upon, what we perpetually think about, that becomes part of us. It creates a desire within us. That's why First John chapter 3 gives us some incredible insight. First John chapter 2, I'm getting my twos and threes backwards today. First John chapter 2, starting with verse 15, says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and it lists three things that I want you to think about this morning, the desires of the flesh, and look at that, and the desires of the eyes 
And pride in possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So it is the desire of the eyes. That's not from God, unless he's at the doorway of our eyes. There's a spirit of the world, and the world is constantly the system of the world. And that Satan himself and the enemy is using the doorways of our eyes to deceive us, to take away our innocence, to make us dissatisfied with the life we have in Christ. And the whole time it's generating through the doorway of our eyes uh, a dissatisfaction with the provision of God, uh, a lack of satisfaction with what we have. It makes us covetousness. It, make, it makes us covet things. It makes us jealous. It makes us full of all types of things that God doesn't want us to do. And when you think about the eyes, you can't avoid the subject of lust. Because I know that that's where the enemy prays stronger than any area. And we live in a generation that doesn't just justify lust. It celebrates it. And it creates systems and environments where we all think that it's acceptable and it's normal and it's okay for us to not guard our eyes. And to not be disciplined. And so we participate in things that God doesn't want us to. Pornography is so readily available today. It's so accessible. So easy to get to. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing a lot of initiatives as men. We have a men's Bible study now at 8 a.m. We have a monthly breakfast on the fourth Saturday of the month. Our 242 groups... We're meeting as men additionally. My group, we meet every other Friday at 6 a.m. in the morning. And we're taking some small steps to try to produce relationships that will produce accountability. Because Satan is attacking the offices of the leader, leadership of men. Attacking the office of a father. Attacking the office of a leader in the community. And a major way he's doing it is through the use of pornography. And so... We want to take some steps. In April, we're going to have a Saturday night men's event. And we're going, to, we're going to look at that in a redeeming way together. But it's not just a problem with men either. Lust is equally a problem with women. And I think that that is just a, a ridiculous stereotype that men are driven by that, but women aren't. I'm going to prove it to you. Do you know how I can prove it to you? It's by the Bible. Let's look at Genesis Chapter 39 tells a story of Joseph as he works for Potiphar. And this is just a really amazing story that reveals human nature. And it reveals something. Genesis chapter 39, starting with verse 4. It says, So Joseph found favor in his sight, meaning Potiphar, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house. I'm in verse 4 of chapter 39. And put him in charge of all That he had. Verse 5 From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, in verse 6, said, Now Joseph was handsome. In form and appearance. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. 
that this is talking about a physical appearance that he has. He was handsome in his physique. He was handsome in his appearance. And now we'll go on and it says, And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph. There it is again. What doorway is it? The doorway of the eyes. She cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused. So there we know from the beginning that lust has been an issue with men and with women. And this whole nonsense, I know this is three years old or four years old, but this whole cougar nonsense is simply that. The first cougar was Potiphar's wife. Uh, and and it's, it's just really ridiculous that women need to be mother figures and they need to be women of God and they don't need to be chasing after younger men. Period. Men, the same way too. This is driven by lust. This is driven through the doorway of the eyes. And it's very enticing, and it's very appealing, and it's readily available, but it's still a sin. And it's something that all of us have to submit to the Lord and to say, Lord, help us. Lord, help us to overcome this. Help us not to justify. Help us not to accept. Help us not to to think, well, this is normal. This is the way it is for everyone. But instead, God, let us keep our eyes where they need to be. Keep our eyes on the path that they need to be. Now, a lot of you have been to amusement parks. Probably all of you have been to some sort of amusement park as a kid or with your grandkids or with your sons or daughters. And typically, it's in the summer when it's 90 plus degrees. It's completely humid. You're on the verge of dehydration. And you're at this amusement park, and with the money you have, all of a sudden they advertise funnel cakes. You're completely dehydrated, you're hot, you're not feeling well, but you see an advertisement for funnel cakes. Let's take flour-based dough and put them in boiling grease and then saturate them with sugar. And that's exactly what people the music park need, right? After, after, after running around all day. Or a better alternative is this, cotton candy. Cotton candy. Let's, let's take some dyed sugar and put air in it and create cotton candy. And for whatever reason, when we're in that environment, even though we're hot, we're thirsty, we're on the verge of dehydration, oh, cotton candy, that would be perfect right now. Let's get that. It's very childish, and my children love to do that, but I've done it also, too, as an adult. And what, what happens? You, you get the cotton candy, you buy the funnel cake, and you feel completely worse afterwards. I mean, no nutritional value actually adds to your dehydration, your thirst, and it, it, there's no value in it at all. But what? Your eyes look at those food items and you think, that'd be really good. That would be good to the palate right now. That would taste good. And that's... One, one of the things that happen with our eyes, here's the second thing I want you to write down, is that our eyes deceive. You need to understand, through the doorway of your eyes, there's diminishing satisfaction. Your eyes deceive you. And you think that you have to have something, and you think you want something, and your senses especially your visual senses, play on your emotions and play on your desires and create desires within you. And you think, I need that. And that would be really good for me. I would really enjoy that. But it's deceptive. Because the truth is, it's just like 
cotton candy at the amusement park. It might taste good at first, but as soon as you're done, you feel much worse for it. That funnel cake looks good and it feels good in your hand and it tastes good, but as soon as you eat it, you regret it. It was a complete waste. So it is, especially in our sexual sin. That we think, oh, this is going to be so great to participate in. This is appealing to my desire. This, yes, I deserve this. This is the real me. This is really who I am. I'm going to throw, throw aside all of those, um, those, those historically restrictive rules. And I'm going to do what I feel like doing. And in the end, there is almost instant regret. And there's almost instant regret for what you've done. That's why Proverbs is full of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 6 is the writer is giving wisdom to a young man to avoid participating in immorality. It says, and he said in verse 23, For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way, are discipline are the way to life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Now look at this phrase. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. There again, it's not only what you look at, but sometimes it's the eyes of another. And I just, I just want to remind you of something. That lust, is the, the ramifications of lust in your life is not what you want. It's not what you want. You might be deceived in a minute, in the moment, to think that's what you want. But you really don't want an affair. You really don't want to have a one-night stand. You really don't want to visually look at someone else you don't even know who's naked. You, you don't want to do those things. You don't want to have sex outside of the covenant you, you have before God. Those are not what you want. You might think you want them in the moment, but in the end, you know what you really want? You really want your spouse. You really want your kids. You really want a healthy relationship. You really want to have a dating experience that would please God and be an example to others. That's who you are. That's what you want. And everything else is just funnel cake, cotton candy. It's a lie from the enemy. It's there to deceive you. And it's going through the doorway of your eyes. And Jesus is standing before the door and he's saying, it stops here. I want to stop it here because that's not who you are. When we sang the song earlier, Oh, how he loves. I, was, I knew that we were going to be talking about this subject today. And, and, I, and I just felt the love of Jesus for, for you. Because I know many in this room, I would dare say most, have experienced some level of sexual sin or sexual temptation. Well, it, it, not that temptation is a sin, but, but there's, there's parts that, that we, we just wish we hadn't done that. And we wish we didn't have that pull. And can I just tell you that Jesus is standing before the door and he, doorway of your eyes. And he's saying to you, I love you. And I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to guard you and protect you because I know who you really are. And I know what you want. You want a satisfying relationship with me. You want a satisfying relationship with your spouse. You want to be an example of godliness in your dating life. And I'm standing before the door of your hearts. And I'm saying, I love you. I love you. And that's the message of Jesus today. And that's why Job 31.1, the oldest book in the Bible, there's an incredible statement where he says this, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. 
What a great scripture to live out and pray and remember and to be accountable with. Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. This is the doorway that the enemy wants to come through. And now I'm making a covenant with my eyes that I want, I want to live a life of victory over lust. And the eyes are so important. The eyes tell us so much. You know, a lot of times what happens around here is that uh, I'll meet some of your children. I know some of your children, and I'll call them by name. I'll say, hi, John, or, or hi, Sally. I'm making up names. And the kids don't verbally respond. I mean, first of all, because kids just aren't good at that. They're on a learning curve on that whole deal anyway. And second of all, it's kind of intimidating sometimes. If it may be because of my position, they don't want to talk to the pastor. or Maybe they don't like to talk to adults. And so I'll say hi to the kids, and the kids will look at me and not respond. And then the parent says, Johnny or Sally, say hi to Pastor Aaron. And so what I often say is, I said, they did. They said hello with their eyes. And it is true that I see in the eyes of those kids sometimes. I really see what they want to say, but just because their social skills are developing, they just don't know how to say it or when to say it or whatever. And here's the third thing I want you to write down. See, the eyes reveal. The eyes reveal. You know, I know the cloud has kind of hovered over the issue of lust this morning, and there's so many practical things that we need to do. And we don't have time to get into all of those, but for some of us, we need there, there are filters you can put on your, on your computer that will help you be accountable if you deal with pornography and that issue, and I can help you get those. Accountability is a must. You've got to build accountability with someone that you can say, hey, these are some issues in my life, and we're trying to create environments for that. You know, uh, I would never suggest let's pair off in twos and let's be accountable because you have to build relationships to produce genuine accountability. So those are some things. But the last thing I want to share with you today is not some of those practical things that are so helpful. If you ever need to see a Christian therapist, that could be a good thing too. But I want to talk about you and Jesus for a second. And I want to talk about what he wants to reveal through his eyes to your eyes. It's an important concept that I talked about in the previous series called Unauthorized Fire, but it's so important. I want to share with you again today as we move towards dismissal. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 13 says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, listen to this. With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. Let's go back to that verse again real quick and look at that again. There's six different items here. Gold, silver, precious stones are the good things. Wood, hay, and straw are the bad things in our life. So gold, silver, precious stones are your prayer life, your church attendance, your giving, reaching out to your neighbors, loving your spouse, mentoring your kids. Those are all the good things. Witnessing to your neighbors, Bible study, all the things. Those are the good things in your life. Wood, hay, and straw, that's your negativity, that's your slander, that's your lust, that's your, your propensities that, to sin, all those things. Now, go on to verse 13. Now, look at this. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, we'll disclose it. That's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort 
of work each one has done. So your life, this has nothing to do with your salvation. But the judgment seat of Christ, your life's going to pass through the fire. And all before you enter heaven, all the good stuff, all the gold, silver, jewels, they're going to be refined in the fire. They're going to pass on into eternity. It's going to be greater. Everything you do for God is going to be greater and more pure. And it's going to pass into glory with Him. And it's going to be those treasures that we lay at Jesus' feet. But all the sin can't enter into heaven. And so the wood, hay, and straw, all the sin in our life is going to be burned away by His presence. And what is that? Listen, this is what I believe it is because the eyes reveal. Revelation talks about the eyes of Jesus many times. And we're going to look at Revelation 19, verse 11, starting with verse 11. It says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now look at this. His eyes are like a flame of fire. I believe that when we're at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to look into the eyes of Jesus. And everything that gold, silver, or precious stone are going to pass through and be refined and it's going to be stronger. But all the sin in our life is going to burn away and it's going to leave. So what, what does this mean to you today? Beyond all the practical things we need to do, which I think those are important, I also want to suggest on the doorway of your eyes, would you look into the eyes of Jesus? And before you, before you do anything else, could you imagine what it'd be like to look in his eyes. And when you let the eyes of Jesus burn, everything that's not of him. I want to tell the story in closing. Don Fento is a pastor in Nashville. And back in the late 70s, when he was working with some students, he dropped by one of their house one day. There were a lot of cars that he recognized in the driveway. And he was checking on them. So he went up and he knocked on the door and he tried to open it because he had that type of relationship with him, but the door was locked. And he heard someone say, It's God. Put it out. So after a couple of minutes, they opened the door and they had sprayed perfume and aroma, but there was no doubt that there was a smell of marijuana there. These church kids were smoking illegal drugs. And there was a ringleader that Don came up to and he said, look me in the eye. And he wouldn't look at him. He said, no, look me in the eye. And the kid glanced up and he looked down. Don said, no, look me in the eye for a long time. And finally the kid did it. And Don said, if you can't look me in the eye, then how can you look in the eyes of Jesus? So this morning, I know I haven't answered every question and given you every practical step, but I want to point you to somebody, to Jesus Christ. And when we look into the eyes of him, the eyes of burning fire, and look into him and realize he's standing at the doorway of our eyes, and he's saying, I want to be the filter, and I want everything to pass through me, and I want to burn away everything that's not of me, that's of your flesh, and I want everything that's of me to pass through and to be refined, to be better. Can I just say, can we take a long look into the eyes of Jesus and be freed from that? I want you to think about that as Jonathan leads us. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. 